You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Uh, well, church, what we do around here is really simple, and this is the way we say it. When we're just articulating what it is that we do, what God has called us to do as a church family, uh, we say it like this, that we enjoy Jesus and we make disciples. And, you know, with that, with that statement, we're not trying to be cute or creative. Uh, we're just sort of just saying what Jesus says. Uh, Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew is known as the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says this. He's just looking at his disciples and, and threw them to the church. And he says, go, therefore, and make disciples. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is the work that God has called you into. He's called you to, to leverage your life for the sake of making disciples. Now, Jesus goes on and gives some texture uh, to that call to make disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of what? All nations. Jesus is saying, I, I want you to take the gospel and your disciple making, and I want you to aim it at all the nations. I want you to get the good news of Jesus to every crack and crevice of the planet. I want you to take it to the ends of the earth. And church, I just think that is such a needed word to us, for us to hear today. Um, right now on this planet, there are roughly 2 billion people who are in unreached people groups. That means that little boys and little girls grow up and they live their entire life without ever hearing about the good news of Jesus. Oh, that God would raise some of us up to aim our life, to point our life, to give our life to getting the good news of Jesus to those unreached peoples, to those little boys and those little girls. But that's not the only way the scriptures direct or aim our disciple-making work. Yes, the scriptures aim our disciple-making work to the nations. That, that is so true. You see it right there in the Great Commission. And the scriptures aim our disciple-making work to the next generation. Uh, to both of those. Yes to the nations and yes to the next generation. Uh, you know, I love the imagery that the Bible employs so often to talk about the Christian life. You see this throughout the Bible, uh, but it'll use the analogy of a race. Uh, you've got a Hebrews chapter 12 as a classic case in point where the author of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love that analogy, the, the race for the Christian life. Uh, so let's just take that analogy for a moment. We'll just use track uh, for the analogy. You're running a race. And if our Christian life, if our life with Jesus is a race, it's important to know what type of race that we're running. And the scriptures are clear. Your life is less like an individual track event and much more like a relay event. Much less like an individual event, much more like a relay. So let's just take the 400 as a for instance. Uh, the 400 is one time around the track. Uh, and in the individual event, you get out on the track and you are focused on yourself running the absolute best race that you can. The best 400 that you can. And when you finish that one lap around the track, you have finished the race. 
But the scriptures don't see your life like that. As an individual, see it as a relay. And in a relay, your part of the race is important, but equally important as your part of the race is the pass. The moment when you take the baton and you put it into the hand of the next runner. That's equally important. It doesn't matter how well you run if you don't make the pass. The pass is a part of your run. It's a part of your race. Now, welcome to the purpose of Psalm 78. This psalm is directing our attention to the past. It's saying, yes, the way you run is important. But, but as you run, make sure you are seeing and you're anticipating and you're preparing for the, the past. This psalm invites us to live in a way that your life will outlive you. So the psalm begins in verse 1. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. This is the psalmist saying, What I'm about to convey to you is not light and trivial and insignificant. No, what I'm about to say is weighty. What I'm about to say is worth your undivided attention. So he goes on, Give ear, incline your ears to the word of my mouth. Church, this psalm is about to set before us something that we as a church family cannot turn away from. That we have to stare at, gaze upon, consider. It is about to set before us weighty things. Now, let me preface Psalm 78 by saying this. It's the second longest psalm, so we're not going to be able to cover every verse in this psalm. Uh, the first eight verses contain the point of the psalm, and then the next 64 verses uh, give an illustration, uh, essentially, of the main point. It, it's the psalmist putting into practice the main point of the psalm. So today, I want to, in particular, draw your attention to verses 5 through 8. And verses 5 through 8 are coming at us in two parts. Uh, we've got the work, and then we've got the want. The work and the want. Those are the two parts. So let's start with the work. There is a lot of work being done in this psalm. It is, it's, it's showing us a lot to do in this psalm. Uh, but the first work that Asaph points us to, the psalmist points us to, is God's work. This is the first thing he wants us to see is, it's not what we're to do, but what God has done. So look at verse 5. It says, he, that's talking about God. The psalmist is saying, let me show you what God has done. He established a testimony in Jacob. The first thing Asaph does is point the people of God back to the work of God, to what God has done. He's looking at the people of Israel and saying, I want you to remember your history. I want you to remember the story of what God has been doing. I want you to remember your past people of Israel. So the first place Asaph turns is the story of Exodus. If you just sort of, you know, start reading through the psalm, this is the first place he wants to draw their attention is the story of Exodus. And that story in Exodus is the primary story in the Old Testament for what it means to be redeemed. 
If you were to ask someone on the backside, uh, the people of Israel, on the backside of the story of Exodus, have you been redeemed by God? They would have all said, yes, we have been rescued. We have been redeemed by God. And Asaph is turning their attention back to that story. He's saying, hey, do, do you remember those plagues that God sent upon the people of Israel? Hey, do you remember that extraordinary work of God where he, where he took the lives of all the firstborn in Egypt? But how he pointed you to that lamb and you were to kill that lamb and to wipe the blood of that lamb upon your doorpost so that, so that God would pass over every door marked by the blood of the lamb. Do you remember that story? Do you remember how God freed you from slavery? Do you remember how he rescued from Pharaoh, you from Pharaoh's bondage? Do you remember how God parted the Red Sea and you walked through it on dry land? Do you remember that? Hey, do you remember out there in the wilderness, God giving you bread every morning? Do you remember that the moment where you were thirsty, about to die of thirst, and, and God caused water to flow out of a rug? Do you remember these amazing stories of God's work in your life? He's saying, don't forget, remember God's rescuing work. And by extension, Asaph, the psalmist is looking to you and I, the church, a few thousand years later and saying that the exact same thing. He's saying, do not forget, remember the, the rescuing work of God. We are supposed to see, as, as New Testament Christians, followers of Jesus, we're supposed to see through the story of Exodus all the way to Jesus. Through the story of God breaking Israel out of Pharaoh's bondage all the way to Jesus and his saving work on the cross where he breaks us out of the bondage to sin. The psalmist is just inviting us, hey, hey would you turn your gaze upon the saving work of Jesus? Upon Jesus who Paul calls the Passover lamb who gave his life for our liberation. Hey, would you behold that God? Would you turn your attention to that, God? The psalms, this psalm is, is inviting us to, to stare again, to gaze again upon the dying love of Jesus. Upon Jesus hanging upon the cross, where all of God's wrath for our sin, his unrestrained wrath for all of our sin, came crashing down upon Jesus. The psalmist wants you to remember God's saving work, to gaze upon God's saving work, to not forget God's saving work. And I think it's a, a good time for us to maybe pause and just ask the question, have you gotten in on God's saving work? Are you a part of that story? Has, has God's story invaded your story? Has there been that decisive moment in your life where you have turned from your sin and pushed your life all in with Jesus? Has that moment happened? And for those who you would look at your life and say, no, it hasn't. Might God be at work this morning bringing you into this moment so that his story can intersect with your story, so that you can be swept up into God's rescuing and saving work? And it only happens one way. It only happens by faith. It only happens when we come with the empty hands of faith, not, not trying to earn God's saving work, 
but resting in what Jesus has earned for us in his life, death, and resurrection. Are you in on the saving work of Jesus? If not, but this is your time. You can just pause right where you are, pray, call out to God, hold your life up to him and say, God, I am trusting in Jesus. Rescue me. And for those who are a part of God's saving work, when is the last time you have been freshly amazed by it? When is the last time the good news of Jesus has just brought you to tears? God's saving, rescuing work in your life. When's the last time that's happened? This is where Asaph starts. He says in verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob. And then he goes on in verse 5. And appointed a law in Israel. The psalmist first says, here is what God has done for you. Right? He points us back to that saving work of God, that rescuing work of God. And then he points us back to the Ten Commandments. That's what he's getting at here. And appointed a law in Israel. He's thinking back upon the Ten Commandments. He frees the people from bondage in Egypt, and then he leads them to a mountain where he gives them the law. And the law in the scriptures is a good gift from God to us. It's where God shows us what to do. It's where God shows us the path to, the way to, the good life, what he wants for us and from us. And this is how the Christian life works. Just what Asaph is doing here. What God has done enables our doing. The grace of God empowers our grit. Right? So he's, he's just pointing us to what God has done. This is where Asaph starts. He wants the people of God to have a fresh sighting of the grace of God in their life. He wants us to be freshly amazed at the works of God and the ways of God. He wants us to stop and behold and gaze upon the grace of Jesus. That's God's work in the psalm. But then we get to our work. Look again at verse 5. God's work, then our work. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which, here comes our work, our work, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. There's our work, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the works and the ways of God, the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children. So, so what is our work? Our work is to text, uh, tell the next generation about God's work. That's what the psalmist is saying. This is, this is our work, to make sure the next generation knows God's work. Just think about a baby for a second, a newborn baby. You might just get a picture of the last newborn baby uh, that, that you've seen. Every baby comes out of the womb both cute and criminal. Both. Cute and criminal. Every baby comes out of the womb with a heart spring-loaded to reject Jesus and embrace their ruin. Every single human being born post-Genesis chapter 3, outside of Eden, east of Eden, comes into the world that way, ready to stiff-arm Jesus and embrace ruin, which means every single generation, without exception, every single generation has to be evangelized with the gospel. 
Every single generation has to be taught the gospel as if for the first time. We cannot assume that the next generation will love Jesus. We cannot assume that the way God has worked in one generation will just mysteriously show up in the next generation. No, we cannot assume those things. We have to give energy and effort to the past. To, to making sure the good news of Jesus gets passed from this generation to the next generation. Every single generation has to be evangelized with the good news of Jesus. That we have to aim our disciple-making work at the next generation. Yes to the nations. But this psalm is saying yes to the nations and to the next generation. We have to take what Jesus has done and what he's shown us to do and pass it along the generational line. Now, the Bible is going to show us over and over again that the primary link between one generation's vibrant love of Jesus and the next generation's vibrant love of Jesus is the parent-to-child link. That is the primary link. That is the primary way the good news of Jesus gets passed from one generation to the next. This is why we say so often, parents, pastor. This is what God has called every single parent to be and to do. You are the pastor of your home. You are the shepherd of your home, pointing your home to the person and work of Jesus. Verse 5, again, he established, this is God's work, a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. Now, this is our work, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. Think about the, the job of a parent for a minute. Think about what you're doing as parents. Your child is a beautiful image bearer of God. They, they were made for glory. That they were made to glorify God and enjoy God forever. And that little image bear that's been entrusted to you by God is either going to spend forever with Jesus doing the very thing they were made for or apart from Jesus forever. Is that not sobering to consider? And here's the problem. That little image bearer that's been entrusted to you by God came out of the womb mistaking God a good dad for an enemy. Uh, this is why the mission field of every parent starts right there in the crib. God's entrusted that little image bearer to you so that you could stand between them and the ruin their hearts want. So that you could teach them about Jesus, show them Jesus. So that you could show them that the very God who they think is against them is actually for them. You've got a chance, you've got this privilege given to you by God to pass along to the next generation a rich, vibrant knowing of God. That's what we're doing as parents. Of all the other things that you're going to be about as a parent, this is the primary thing the Lord is asking of you to make sure the good news of Jesus, you're doing everything you can to pass the good news of Jesus down the generational line. Now, the Bible does give us some help on the how of that. How do we go about making that pass? 
making sure the gospel gets down the generational line. And let me just back up and say, there are no silver bullets. As a parent, the Lord has called us to do everything we can do in trusting God to do what only he can do, rescue and save a human being. But the, but the Bible does give us work to do as parents, things to do as parents, as we're trusting God to do what only he can. How do we make the pass? Well, let me give you three things the Bible shows us. One is we make the pass through what we might call formal instruction. Formal instruction. This is making a plan and setting aside intentional time to make the pass. To make sure you're, you're entrusting what God has given you, his works and his ways, down into the next generation. So for every parent, just let's do this exercise again. We did this a couple of months ago, but let me just do this again with you. Um, think about your kids that are in your house, if you're a parent. By the time your kiddo graduates high school, most of your forming work in their life will be completed. Okay, that, that's going to mark a huge moment of, of your forming work. Most of it will be done by the time they leave high school. So think for a moment um, how long it is before your kid graduates high school. How many years is that? Then take those years and let's multiply it by 12. That gives you how many months do you have left with your kid in your home? Just get that the number of months clear. And then beside that number of months, I want you to think about all the, the, the areas where your child, your student, needs to be equipped. Think of all the conversations that need to happen. Conversations about Jesus, about money, about sexuality, about pornography, about technology, about how to read and study the Bible, about dating, about marriage, about um, work, about friendship, about Fill in the blank. There's just hundreds of them, right? You've got that many months to fit those conversations into. Think about all the skills you want to pass down for your, to your child to make sure they're equipped and ready to live in the world. Think about all that you want your kiddos to know about themselves, how they're made, their unique giftings, what they're good at, what they're not good at, all of those things. This is what Jesus is calling you to to create that plan. I've got this many months. I've got all this stuff that needs to be uh, chatted about and worked through and talked through. They need to be equipped in all of these ways. And I've got this many months to do it. So, so here's my months. Here's the things sliding into those months. And I've got a plan now that I'm working. I'm doing my work, trusting that God will do his work in their life. So uh, let me just take a step back. When it comes to formal instruction in your home and ask this question to you, do you have a plan? Have you set with the Lord thought about those months, all the stuff that needs to happen during those months, and developed a plan to make sure you have made the pass with your kid. If you haven't, then what a great moment in your life to start that. There is no day like today to develop that plan. It'd be a great thing to do in the context of your family, maybe with your spouse, uh, with the, the people in your home group, just to start thinking through that, making that plan for formal instruction. This is one way that we make the pass. It's through formal instruction. It's doing what this psalm says. Teach, fathers, teach the ways and the wonders and the works of God to your kids. Teach those. It's formal instruction. The Bible also presents another way for us to get the good news of Jesus down into the next generation. We might call this one informal instruction. 
We make the pass through informal instruction. I love the way Deuteronomy 6, and Deuteronomy 6 in a lot of ways is the classic text in the Bible about our work as parents making the pass down into the next generation, aiming our disciple-making work to the next generation. And I love how Deuteronomy 6 talks about this. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, we read this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Right? So there is a formal instruction component to it. And then listen to what he goes on to say. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. That just sort of sounds like dinner. It's leveraging the dinner table for disciple making. It's praying together. It's getting into each other's lives. It's connecting lives to Jesus. It's, I would even recommend like putting good conversation cards out on the dinner table just to make sure you're platforming meaningful conversation in the context of your family. Just as you're going, informal instruction, we're eating dinner and we're just bringing disciple making into our dinner times. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And then he goes on. And when you walk by the way, that's just a very as you're going sort of a thing. Now, think about the, the way God has made the world. God created a world that reveals him in a billion different ways. I mean, he's just everywhere in the world. You can see the fingerprints of God in everything if you just will look around. And here's what is true about your kiddo. Your child wakes up every day without seeing God in everything. And part of what you get the privilege of doing as a parent is helping them see God in the entirety of their life, in every moment of their life, every situation of their life, in every moment you get the chance to connect God into it. See, for a parent, it is not weird for you to talk about God with your kiddos. It is weird if you don't talk about God with your kids. Because he, he's just infused himself. His fingerprints are everywhere in their lives, in the world that God has made. And we get a chance to connect God into everything. So it's just as we're going, as we're driving, as we're playing catch, after we watch the movie, all the little moments of life, it's just as you're going. He says, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And then he goes on, and when you lie down, sort of sounds like bedtime. And then he keeps going, and when you rise, that's, that's your morning. He's just painting the picture of a parent leveraging the entirety of their life for the past. Not just worried about their race, but no, equally important. It's, yeah, yeah, I'm running with Jesus, and I'm keeping my eyes on that moment when I am making the pass to the next generation. It's leveraging the entirety of our lives for the sake of the past. Informal instruction. And the Bible gives us another way that we make the pass. That parents make sure they're making the pass down into the next generation. And we might call this way uh, modeling. We, we make the pass through modeling. Modeling is the most effective way to teach anything to anyone. Modeling. So in the home, God has designed it to work this way. Kids learn how to follow Jesus by watching their parents. That's the way God has created a home to work. Kids get to see firsthand what it looks like to follow Jesus by watching their parents. Now, th this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 
Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Because this is how we learn. And every parent should be able to look at their kid and say something like that. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Parents, your children will learn more by the eye than they will the ear. Um, after extensive research, sociologist Christian Smith concluded in his book, Soul Searching. Here was his conclusion. The most important social influence in shaping young people's religious lives is the religious life modeled and taught to them by their parents. I want to read that one more time for us. The most important social influence in shaping young people's religious lives is the religious life modeled and taught to them by their parents. Parents, what our kids see, they will one day be. Amen. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And kids eventually see beyond just what we say to what makes our heart leap for joy. For what makes our heart sad and, and produces tears. For what we're really looking to for life and hope and joy. Every parent, we don't have the option here. Every parent is making and leaving a lasting impact, impression upon the hearts of their kid. Every parent is leaving an impression upon the hearts of the kid about the reality of Jesus. He is either the most amazing thing in the universe or he's boring. He's either worth giving your entire life to or he's not. But every parent is saying something about that to their kid, leaving an impression upon the heart of their kid about the person of Jesus. And, and parent, I, I mean, I want to relieve you of the feeling of that means I have to be perfect. Kids do not need perfect parents. The only way we make forward progress in our walk with the Lord is through weakness, through admitting all of our imperfection. What kids need is not a parent's perfection. All they need from a parent is a vibrant, rich knowing of Jesus. Amen. That's what your kids need. A vibrant, awake, rich relationship with Jesus. So parents, how is your vibrancy? How awake are you to the beauty of Jesus? When you think about Jesus right now, does it make your heart leap for joy? If not, this is the first work of parenting. It's just to get on our knees before the Lord, asking the Lord to do that, that work of grace in our heart to bring our hearts fully alive to him. And maybe many of us as parents today just need to get on our knees today before the Lord and do that. Just beg the Lord for that grace. Beg the Lord to reawaken our heart to him in all the ways that we so desperately need. Parents, this is the work. Uh, the work that the Lord has set before you is to make that pass. To, to aim your disciple-making work to the next generation. Now, the next couple of minutes might be the most important couple of minutes of the sermon. So I just want to make sure you are fully aware and, and paying attention in the next couple of moments. The Bible definitely shows 
that the primary link between one generation's vibrant love of Jesus to the next generation's vibrant love of Jesus is the parent-to-child link. But the Bible also shows that the parent-to-child link is not the only link. Uh, when it comes to the next-gen ministry team, like uh, those around Stonegate who are invested into making sure the past happens, when it comes to the, uh, the next-generation ministry team at Stonegate, uh, we have an incredible team. It's actually our biggest team, really, in a lot of ways, uh, in our church. And I would love just to take a second to introduce you to uh, our next-generation ministry team um, at Stonegate. And to do that, uh, would everyone, would you all just stand up for just a second? Just everyone in the church, stand, everyone here, stand up. Just go ahead and stand right there where you are. Everyone up. Stretch your legs for a second. All the good stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> Just take a look around for a minute. This is the next generation ministry team. This is it, right here. Yeah, you can clap for that. <clears throat> I want you to look at me, everybody, while you're standing. You, you are the next generation ministry team. It's not like three people around here, six people around here, 15 people. No, it's our entire church family. This is the crew that God is looking at and saying, we collectively have to make the pass. Psalm 78, the command to get the gospel to the next generation church. It is a church-wide command. Amen. This is the team. Psalm 78 is for the 40-year-old in this room right here with four kids. And it's for the 14-year-old in this room. And it's for the 23-year-old single person in this room. And it's for the 65-year-old empty nester in the room. It is for every single one of us in the room. This is the next generation ministry team. Amen? Okay, you can have a seat there where you are. So welcome, next generation ministry team. It's great to have you partnering with us to make sure we're making the pass. Now think about what Asaph is doing in Psalm 78. He starts with all the first person sort of wording. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you about this. I'm going to do that. Here's the words of my mouth. It's all that first person stuff. And then you get to verse 4 and it's, he loops us all in. In verse 4, the wording changes. In verse 4, we read this. We... We, church, every one of us, you have kids, you don't have kids. You're an empty nester, you're not an empty nester. You're single, you're not. Every single one of us, we will not hide them from their children. But here's what we will do. We will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. That is an invitation to our entire church family. It is, it is a church-wide work to make sure we are making the past. Now, one of the things I love about just emphasizing that is it, uh, it draws us out of that native self-centeredness that we all have, that, that very meistic way of seeing the world. So here is what I think is very um, prevalent among parents. It's to think like this. If I can just make sure my kids are equipped with what they need, Make sure they get the education they need. Make sure they get the gospel down into them that, that they're going to need. Make sure they get the life skills they need. Make sure they get this they need, that. that. Then we'll all be okay. And, and Psalms like this, Psalm 78 is looking at us and saying, no, that, that is not the way God sees the world. That's not the way God sees the church. 
It's not the way God sees any parent who is making disciples of the next generation. That, that, that way of seeing, that meistic, let me just draw this circle around me and my little crew and that's all I'm going to care about. That, that grieves the heart of God. God is looking for whole churches who will take this responsibility seriously. Who'll take the responsibility of making that pass to the next generation seriously. This is why I love the way we do baby dedications. Every time we dedicate babies, we do a responsive reading together. Can I just read that to you real quickly? This is what we as a church are affirming to parents. That primary link, here's what we as a church affirm to our parents. We say this to them. We believe that raising godly children is a church-wide command. And in this holy moment, you as parents and we as your church family covenant together to redeem the next generation and to be faithful in handing down the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are our next generation ministry team. We all are saying yes to that. That we're going to give time and attention and effort to making sure we make the past. Now, there's a hundred ways this could play out inside of a church family. Uh, we have a few hundred people right now serving over in our kids' ministry this morning. And listen, they're not, they're not just running a daycare over there, right? I mean, it is gospel ministry happening over there. They are telling the stories of the scriptures. They are reminding kids and teaching kids all that God has done in our past. They're looking back and they're highlighting the dying love of Jesus. They're highlighting his life, death, and resurrection. They're teaching kids these things. They're telling those stories. They're modeling what it looks like to have a vibrant love of Jesus in a human life. They are praying for those kids. They are planting seeds in those kids. Right? This is all happening right now, right over there by, by men and women who take this call seriously to pass the gospel down to the next generation. They are partnering over there right now with parents, with the primary link to make the pass. So that's one way. Uh, getting your life invested into our kids' ministry. Another way would be our student ministry team, uh, plugging in there uh, in our church family. When you think about those teenage years, what an important season in a human life. I mean, just go back in your life to that season and think about all that's happening in your heart and life. It is unbelievable all that the Lord's doing in that season of a human life. And that's why we have to be so diligent to make sure in that season that we are doing everything we can to make the pass. Uh, when I think about this fall in our student ministry's life, I am so excited for our student ministry. Um, there is what I would just call a fresh priority of how do we make sure a student's heart is formed, not just now, but for a lifetime of following Jesus. I love that. I'm so excited about what they have in front of them. This fall, uh, they're going from a lot of things in homes to both junior high and our high school is going to be meeting up here with the priority of how do we make sure these students are formed around Jesus. So this is a great way for you to plug in. And I would just commend if you're a parent and you have a 6th through 12th grader to make sure you get them plugged into our student ministry. I think there's going to be really wonderful fruit produced there in the upcoming years. 
And if you are a parent, it would be, or really anyone in our church, doesn't matter what age you are, this would be a great area for you to give your life, to plug in your life, to see the next generation, um, that, that the good news of Jesus passed down to that coming generation. So it's a wonderful way for you to plug your life in. To, to make sure we are making the pass. I mean, just think about our student ministry for a second. We just took a, a little over 320 kids to camp and over a hundred of them said they met Jesus for the first time. 50 of them said, man, the Lord has just brought a significant moment of renewal to my life. That, that's amazing. There's so much work to be done in our student ministry. It would be such a good place for you to give life and, and attention and your effort. But beyond that, you can just take an interest in the next generation. To take an interest in them. You can pray for the next generation. You can ask the Lord for creative ways to encourage the next generation. To bless the next generation. To speak life and, and, and encouragement into the next generation. So church, let's just feel the force of Psalm 78 for a moment. One day we are going to stand before Jesus and we're going to give an account for how we did this work of making the pass, making the pass to the next generation. God is giving us that privilege. He's inviting us into that amazing work to make sure that happens. That's the work. Now let's close here on the one. What do we want from this work, from, from this past? What, what are we hoping for? Well, verses 6 through 8 all start with a that or a so that. In other words, the result. Like, you're going to do this work of, of making sure you're making the past. To, to what ends? Well, it's going to show us the ends. Look, look at verse 6. That the next generation might know. That's why we're making the past. Because we want the next generation to know Jesus. I mean, don't we want that? Don't we want them to know Jesus? And look what he says, the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children. Right? We, we want the next generation to know the work and ways of God. And I love the generational impact on this. It's not just a one-generation view. No, it's, uh, we're going to make this pass, then they're going to make that pass, then they're going to make that pass to all these generations still right now unborn. Do you have a vision for your life that goes beyond one or two or three or four generations? That, that's what this psalm is, is inviting us into, is a way of seeing our life like that. See, when you volunteer in a next-gen ministry, uh, it's not just about what you're doing and what that kid's doing. It's about generations left unborn, still unborn. Your parenting work right now of passing the gospel down to the next generation is not just about what you're doing in your house. It's about what's going to be happening in, in the houses of those kids yet unborn. That's what it's casting vision for in our life. That's what we want, isn't it? For, for this generation and the next generation and the next generation and all those generations to come to know the living God. We want them to know Jesus. We want them to put their hope in Jesus. Look at verse 7. So that they should set their hope in God. We want the next generation to push all of their hope into one big pile and then to push that big pile onto Jesus, don't we? Where it's God or bust. 
That's what we're hoping for the next generation, that they would know Jesus, that they would hope in Jesus, and then lastly, that they would obey Jesus. Look at verse 7. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. We want the next generation to remember Jesus. The greatest joy in the universe we want them to, to remember his works and his ways. And then we want them to keep his ways, to keep his commandments. We want the next generation to, to be faithful to Jesus, come what may. That's what we're hoping for. And church, right now, the next generation is deciding how hard and how far they will go for Jesus' sake. And here's what we as a church get to do right now. We get to put fuel in the tanks of their confidence in Jesus so that they will run harder and faster than us. Amen? I want to close with um, this illustration from a guy named John Patton. He was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands uh, back in the 1800s. And this is the story at the beginning of his autobiography. And just the, the intro to that autobiography is really worth the whole price of the autobiography. It's, the whole thing's amazing. But, but this story is just amazing to me in light of what we're talking about this morning and a parent's influence upon a child's life. Uh, this is the last time he saw his dad. They are making the journey uh, of him leaving. And his dad is walking with him. This will be the last time he sees his dad in his life. And this is what he says. My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on the parting journey are, are fresh in my heart, as if it had been but yesterday, and tears on my cheeks as freely now as then. Whenever memory steals me away to the scene, for the first half mile or so we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. His, his lips kept moving in silent prayers for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a, a minute in silence and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your Father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears, we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could, and when about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and saw him standing with head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving, uh, waving my hat, I rounded the corner and out of sight. But my heart was too full and too sore to carry me further. So I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. Then, rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he stood where I'd left him. And just at the moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me. He didn't see me, and after he had gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down. He set his face toward home and began to return, his head still uncovered and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze, 
And then hastening on my way, listen to what he says, I vowed deeply and often by the help of God to live and to act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. And then he goes on to say this. This is later in his life. He says, the appearance of my father when we parted, his advice, his prayers, his tears, the road, the dike, the climbing up on it when, after walking away, his head uncovered. All of those things have often, all through my life, risen vividly before my mind. And the memory of that scene not only helped, but by God's, by God's grace to keep me pure from prevailing sins, but the memory of those scenes helped me faithfully follow his shining example. That's the influence that a mom and a dad can have upon a kid's heart. And you may not have had a mom or a dad like that. But friends, you can be a mom or dad like that. In church, we can be to the next generation a mom and dad like that. Amen. Why don't you bow with me? I want to give you a moment here to sit with the Lord and for the Lord to press into you those things that would be most helpful this morning. Maybe you could ask the Lord there where you are, Father, what would you want me to hear today? How would you want me to respond to you today? For some, it's going to be that first step of faith. It's you pushing your life across the line with Jesus, making that decisive move toward Jesus for the first time. God just stands so ready to rescue you and save you today. Maybe for some, our affections for the Lord have just grown cold. And we, before the Lord, on our knees right now, just need to beg the Lord to restore the joy of our salvation. To wake up our heart to the greatest thing in the universe, the person of Jesus. And for our entire church, it's an invitation today to say yes to, this race is a relay. So God, yes, I'm going to be a part of making the pass. So, oh God, speak to us now. Minister the good news of Jesus to us now. Father, we know that we cannot pass along what we do not possess. So God, we want a heart alive to you. God, would you do whatever it takes to give us that heart today? Whatever it takes, oh God. It's in the good name of Jesus we ask. Amen.